What does it take to win? Hosted by track record founders David Carey and Scott Gardner. Ready again. Transforming your track record with leadership coaching. Inspired by elite performance from sports and business. On your arms. Side track from leading performers in sports and business to find out what does it take to win. Hello and welcome to the Track Record Podcast. We're here today asking that question, what does it take to win? And every podcast we uh, are incredibly lucky to have some elite leaders from both sport and business to uh, give some insight into how they are able to, uh, to win in their own areas. And today we've got... A cracker. Scott, who we got? David, today we are hugely privileged uh, to have Sean Jones. Uh, I hope I've pronounced Sean correctly. You have. I have. Uh, the Chief Executive Officer of ExoServe, uh, previously of Accenture, BT, yeah. you know, bit of history in consulting. And, you know, I even hear there's a Nectar Card story in there somewhere. <laughs> there but uh, first thing that I'd just like to say Sean is a, an excellent hugely amazing sports player <laughs> um, and um, I'd like can you tell us your greatest sporting story as we head yeah. into this podcast um, well I don't know about great sports star I did um, uh, back in my teenage years uh, captain the Surrey County hockey team and oh, there you I, go. Had, I knew there was like, one in there I had my sights set on the trials for England and um, and why does everyone always have this almost made it story and then <laughs> I really inelegantly tripped over another player's hockey stick and got it caught between my legs and then ended up sort of semi dislocating my hip and that took me out and then basically I discovered boys and booze and that was the end of that so it was an almost great Oh, uh, wow. Hockey career, well, but well, um, I went back to it in my uh, my twenties and um, and played all the way through until yeah. my early thirties. It's good. I'm sure you've had plenty of lessons from sport. <laughs> Welcome, thank you for joining thank us you. today. So let's just fast forward. So we we heard a little bit about your your playing days on the <laughs> hockey pitch, university there. Scott shared us a little bit about your uh, your career history, um, but yesterday was quite a good day. Yesterday was a great day. So um, we did our business planning webcast, which is the um, sort of equivalent of a shareholder call. And um, and we lay out all of our plans for the next three years. Um, And what was great about it is if we go back 18 months when I first joined the company, um, our reputation was not very good. Um, Trust levels with our customers were very, very low. And um, the best we could have hoped for at that point was a trajectory of um, controlling costs and declining revenue. And um, yesterday we laid out, um, I think, a really ambitious and inspiring strategy for how not only are we no longer a um, a cost centre problem for the energy industry, but actually how we are an enabling factor. Um, I likened us to um, Airbnb and Uber connecting one side of the energy market to the other and brought to life um, the power of platform-based business models and, um, and, and what they can do uh, and laid out a very... Um, progressive and aggressive um, plan of investment over the next three years, which based on the questions and latter feedback we had, actually, I think we're going to have a lot of support from our customers, which is an unbelievable step step change from 18 months ago. Awesome. What I'm really interested in is how did it feel? 
Oh, um, I, do you know what? At one point I was doing my um, sort of strategic overview and I could feel a lot of significant members of, of my management team and, and members who work for them sat around the table. And I am just had one of those days where I really reconnected with um, uh, our company strategy, with my strategy for the company. And it, it, I almost had a tear come to my eyes mm. as, as just it was a really... Um, it was an emotional connection to where we're going to go and the impact that we're going to make. And those moments when they come around, they create such a, an impact on everybody who's listening. And um, and I suddenly looked up from my sort of notes and my, my inner th- thinking and looked around the table and realised the impact that what I was saying was having on the people that work for me and for the company. And um, as I realised they were being reinvigorated by the direction mm. of travel and their reason for working for us. And it reminded me the power of strategy, the power of it when a strategy is, is really well done and really well rolled out and it has an emotive sense of why that can cut someone right to the core, um, uh, that has such an impact on people. And it, and it also reminds me, if, and other companies remain nameless, where strategies have just been, I don't know, bits of paper with numbers on them and they have absolutely no sense of purpose or why. Mm. And actually how um, soul-destroying that is for employees. Mm. And so, um, yeah, it was a really good day on so many different levels and uh, got me pretty pumped about our strategy and I think reinvigorated um, uh, people who are already actually quite excited about the journey we're on. So we're in a really good place. Amazing. And the the thing that I could even see it now, you're, you're getting excited <laughs> about just imagining and remembering that, that moment. And you said that three little uh, letter word, <laughs> the why. Yes. And, and how it can cut through. So... How did, how did you come up with that why and, and what is it and, and is it the same for everyone? Yeah, so um, uh, we actually did use um, the Simon Sinek mm-hmm. um, start with why um, approach and I was uh, reading Simon Sinek's book when I was on uh, a beach in Barbados uh, in the two weeks before I took on this job and I don't know, it's probably my sixth, tenth strategy related book and I had a rough idea, I was a non-exec board, board member of the company before I took over as CEO and um and I took over because I saw something, our position in the market, the assets that we have, so underutilised for their potential, at a point when the market desperately needed some kind of centralised platform model that opened up all of the opportunities and took away all the friction. So I was reading all these books and trying to get my head around how to approach it. And this start with why really resonated with me. And so I ended up um, within the first two weeks even, and then it went on for about three months, we brought people from all different levels in the organisation together and we just asked a simple question why do you bother to get up out of bed in the morning and why do you come to work mm. and it stumped so many of our of our people uh, it stumped so many of the leadership but it started a conversation that we gradually break down into um, 
our core belief set. And we are, we're not a regulated company, but we're at the heart of a regulated industry. And mm. so all of our customers are regulated. So in effect, we need to think about ourselves as a company funded by your energy bills. And so with that comes this immense sense of obligation to serve the community and to serve the market. And we sort of really um, found that that word obligation and service really sort of resonated with all of our employees. And so we built on that and then did some really um, sort of core and basic strategy work. And there's different ways to go about it. But we started with, well, what are our assets? Mm -hmm. And we said, well, we've got people, um, uh, processes, technology and data. And we looked at each of them as if they were a temperature gauge and said, well, for each, how well utilised are they and how um, unique are they in helping us with this endeavour to serve the market? And we... Um, uh, drew the conclusion that our people have incredible levels of expertise and that that is unique, but also they were quite maxed out. So mm. is it a, 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 an asset that we can leverage more? There were some challenges with, you know... Um, over um, subscribing our people. Uh, our processes are core to making the industry function um, uh, and there's some expertise around that, but lots of companies can come in and do process outsourcing. So was that unique to us? Uh, and then we got into our technology assets and data, our technology assets and data being fundamentally underutilized. Mm. And if you think that your energy bills had just spent 100 million pounds putting in technology assets that were only 40% of their potential was being used, um, I think we have an obligation to make that 100%. Mm. So therefore, we're doing things and providing things for the energy sector that, that don't need to be paid for elsewhere because consumers have already paid for it. And what's bizarre about the energy sector is if we don't stand up and have a strong tone of voice on the reuse of our assets, then it's almost as if government policymakers, the regulator, and there's no way criticising either, but they don't know that we have all this untapped potential. And so they'll go out and do a big procurement and buy something brand new, which costs all of you guys another £100 million and another £100 million, and we've got all this underutilised potential. And so our strategy, we tapped it into our why is to um, open up and enable our assets to be leveraged for the benefit of all and that needs us to be respected to be trusted by the market by our customers and therefore our, our tone of voice and our opinions are listened to mm. and therefore we can make sure this, this comes about fascinating and i can hear this discussion on strategy and you know we we call it you know really getting clarity and the win what you're trying to achieve and these things that you've outlined as being critical elements i want to open up a can of worms because it seems like as a part of your strategy where the the why the purpose is in there it's almost like the as part of the strategy there's a culture piece yeah. associated with it and there's this quote out there that i'll get wrong but it was that culture trumps strategy it's culture eat strategy for breakfast yes that old chestnut <laughs> yeah and i want to open it up to both of you from david from your experiences mm. from swimming and sham from your experiences in business djing and sport <laughs> um everyone's going to try and find yeah, out i'm going to throw some now. things <laughs> in, in, out there now yeah but uh, this whole piece um, i'm culture strategy and the mix of culture and strategy do they have to be separate do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Go on, crack on. Um, 
uh, it, it, I think it is an absolutely true statement. The problem, I think, the reason why most companies struggle with this is because their culture, their strategy does not tap into the emotional um, um, state of their employees. Because, and therefore, culture will always trump strategy because you're people it's almost like when you're skiing and when you first learn to ski and you always end up people say to you look in the direction that you want to go I mean really look in the direction you want to go and your skis will turn and everyone doesn't they look in the direction they're terrified of going and of course they go that way and um, your people in your company are like that if um, they um, the company is going to go where they're looking and they're only going to change where they look if something in their emotional core causes them to mm. look in a different direction and um, and so what we're grappling with uh, is is does strategy enable you to change culture or do you have to change culture to realize your strategy what I know for sure is unless your your strategy taps into your emotional um, sense where your employees are looking um, you won't be able to deliver your strategy but my belief set at the moment, and you'll need to ask me again in a few years, is you can use strategy to change culture because you can use it to change where people are looking. Mm. It is only the first step, though. Then you need to come back to, OK, well, now your employees have looked in that direction, but now they're scared of things. There are an emotional blockers in the way. And then um, uh, programmes, honest conversations and, and work needs to be put in place to, to help people overcome those yeah. blockers. But without that strategic connection, you're talking about culture in a vacuum because you're not telling people where to look. And therefore, the blockers and all the programmes that people put in place are not connected to a direction of travel. Um, anyway, I don't yeah, know if yeah. that made any so, sense so at So the all. definition of a strategy is, a, is an interesting piece in there in terms of a strategy can just be a business strategy for how we're going to, what we're going to sell and how we're going to go about creating that within the organisation. Then there's also, you know, the way that I think about it a little bit is that strategy piece can actually be a higher level of that where the culture is actually included in the strategy. Well, I don't think the strategy without your second definition is a strategy. So it yeah. has to start okay. with yeah. why do anything at all? Yeah. Um, oh, and this. then yeah. um, uh, what are we going to do right. and how are we going to do it? If you don't have the why do anything at all aspect, yeah. then there's no way of connecting your employees to the strategy. It's just a set of work tasks. Uh, and that's where a lot of companies have this massive disconnect. And you know, you speak to CEOs everywhere. In fact, I'm going to a lunch shortly where we're going to talk also about this topic, which is our employees and even actually at a society level, something that's called the productivity puzzle is kicking in at the moment. Lots of um, very, very smart people are looking at it, which is why is it with so much more technology, enablement, education, everything else is the nation's productivity declining. And um, and there is, in my opinion, a disconnect between the amount that employees are giving to their employers because they are fundamentally and emotionally disconnected from the strategy. Um, and that's because strategies are starting with what and how, and they've completely missed out the why. Mm. And it's also why consumers are becoming disengaged with and distrusting of companies in general because the strategies that companies have also don't respond to the why of their customer base. Um, it's really difficult to go through and I think um, the challenge for boards actually is to appoint CEOs that have the emotional capacity to have a conversation with their employees and their mm. customers about why do anything at all and the answer can't be to grow revenue because mm. it's just not a motivating, it's mm. not a motivating it's ambition. It's a goal. 
it's a goal. It's a goal yeah. that, it, to be honest, I think it's a consequence of having the yeah, right why well, accompanied yeah. by the right goals. It can't be a goal in and of itself. Mm. It, it's it's so similar to the the challenge that uh, we're currently seeing in the world of uh, elite sport where um, up until now, Team GB has been incredibly successful, winning medals uh, left, right and centre, coming second in the medal table. Go Team GB! Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, however, the the big challenge is this kind of um, winning at all costs, no compromise mm. culture that has been developed. And uh, th- this whole concept at the moment, going through the boards, and I'm very fortunate to be able to sit on one of them, is this challenge between... You know, do we want to go for performance and all-out performance, or should we swing the pendulum back and, and look after welfare? That's the debate, hmm. uh, and the the thing that kind of really presses my buttons is that it's this kind of either or. It's not black or white. <laughs> it's not either or, and in fact, my belief it sounds like yours as well is that actually you get the welfare bit right. Guess yeah, what? We'll follow performance will follow Bingo. Uh, and uh, so certainly that that's the, one of the big challenges that we've seen in sport that people's purpose is the winning of the medal mm. and so therefore if they win the medal they're on top of the world and it's amazing that's an interesting goal though because i would almost uh, if i translated that into business i'd say that the end state goal is still not quite right if the end state goal should be um to reach the absolute peak performance as an individual to which may or may not result in a medal mm-hmm. perversely but if your ambition your um uh, precursory step is or your ultimate goal is to be the very best that you can be then actually you take into account all of these other aspects like well-being and psychology because you're trying to get this absolute elite um, uh, physical and mental performance if you reach that goal you will by definition I suspect win medals and go on to be successful when the goal is win the medal I don't know it's a bit like when the goal is revenue I think it sort of it, it becomes too one-dimensional, and it becomes not. It starts to detach from the person. Mm. No doubt, and, and let me tell you an experience. Talking about someone. It was just such a clear and vivid memory that I had in, in Beijing in 2008, and we were absolutely destined to win a medal because. Four years previously, we'd missed a medal by 0.8 of a second in the relay. We were all devastated, but we decided this is going to be our moment. Our performances improved, our rankings improved, and, and we were going there to win a medal. And we thought that if we were inside the old world record, then we probably would be able to um, achieve that standard. And, and the great thing was we got to the Olympics, we got to the final, we were inside the old world record. Fantastic, you think? Unfortunately, five people, uh, five teams went quicker than we thought even possible. Uh, and we were absolutely devastated. Literally every single thing we'd done for those four years was to win that medal. Mm-hmm. And, and so all of a sudden, you kind of look back at the last four years and go, well, that was a waste of time. Yeah. It was like just this crushing devastation of, you know, what have I just done? And of course, you then go back home. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, how did you get on? Yeah, Mr. Meadowboy, 0.8 of a second. Oh, you must be devastated. Oh, that's so horrible. I don't know how you can deal with that. Yeah, thanks. Um, but it was just that that moment of reflection, suddenly realizing, actually, you know, 
I've been to the Olympic Games with some of the best people I've ever met in my life, had these incredible experiences, uh, traveled the world, uh, met my future wife. Yay. I mean, it, all these incredible things and actually got way further than I ever thought possible. And just because there was a Russian team that came from nowhere, um, some guy called Michael Phelps suddenly decided to do uh, the 200 freestyle, completely knocked out uh, what we were doing. And, and when reflecting, I think a couple of things came out. One, um, we were so transfixed on what we thought and what we knew was possible that we were totally rigid in our mm -hmm. approach and so weren't willing to explore or try new things. Um, and so I, th I don't think we even reached our potential. And I think that that number, that outcome we were aiming for actually limited our yeah. performance. Um, uh, but more than that, it, you know, the medal, the outcome was not the important thing. Yeah. And, and if I think about all the medals that I won throughout my career, they're in some dusty drawer somewhere. I yeah. mean, that is not the thing that I'm taking with me. It's not the reason why I'm sitting here today. Yeah. Um, so suddenly realizing over the next four years that um, a purpose way beyond winning medals was the important thing. And guess what? My performance has increased, as did the rest of my life. And I, I had a, um, a fiancé that actually did want to marry me and friends <laughs> that did want to come to my wedding <laughs> and various things. And it, it was uh, it was a big kind of night and day moment but I, I do think it was because it wasn't either or it wasn't welfare yeah, or performance it was absolutely both and it's I think that that highlights a number of things actually which is when um, businesses set goals and targets um, because even after you've connected with your why and you've developed your strategy um, there's this tension between needing to set a goal that stretches the imagination but the, the goal is itself limiting and it's also if you don't hit it even though you might have done amazing things because half the time when businesses set goals they've got no idea there isn't another olympic team to kind of benchmark your mm. performance against or a previous event it's just like well i don't know maybe we should try and do 10 percent better here or and um and then actually when you get into the process you realize the team are knocking it out of the park completely and that just gets you one percent forward and um uh, and you end up in a state of complete pride it's absolutely moving the business forward but you're going to miss the target and then you end up with a well actually how useful was the target because now we're all mm. feeling depressed when we yeah. should be feeling great yeah and um and so i've got a mixed set of emotions around target setting and um i do spend quite a lot of my time as a leader almost saying to people to ignore the target we set them and we talk about them but i find myself saying a lot um what do we need to be successful um, what else could we do? How do we think about this completely differently? Um, uh, and, and I've got this sense, and I often use this language and my body language kicks in as well, of just sort of trying to wring the value out of things all the time, mm. whatever number was set. And if we mm. can be happy that we've done that, um, um, then I think perversely I think that's enough mm. and and that's a difficult thing for a CEO to say it's a difficult thing for a sports person to say is but actually I think for our own well-being in society there is a sense of being able to say that was enough if mm. you can't say that you never actually win yeah and yeah. your team will never win and your people will never win and it becomes an endless hamster wheel yeah of just spinning for something so yeah. But then if you don't set targets, you know, yeah. and you end up in this sort of... So it's a constant, it's a constant it, 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 dialogue. It, it is. <laughs> it is. At British Cycling, we we wrangled 
Brangled? Is that a word even? It is we wrestle. Yeah, there you we go. Wrestle with wrestle with exactly, <laughs> with exactly, exactly that thing. And at a time when I came in in, in 2006, it was the sports were undergoing a whole change and the way that funding was used and the way that we could actually target. And we started to get ambitious. Uh, and it was uh, that wrestling with the end state. And when you've got a performance support team around a group of athletes and not just one, um, it was how do you create that? So we created a lot of purpose around trying to understand what it's going to be like, where we're going to be, looking into the future, and came up with this whole topic. And I can't take any um, any, any, any form of um, um, responsibility for it, but was this whole concept of nine to fivers to performance drivers. And it was nice. because the athletes were there. We always, we always stood behind the athletes and our role was there to change and, and support them in a way they'd never been supported and to get us to think about the front yeah. line, what they're dealing with, how it's going to feel, what's it going to be like, and therefore then to create purpose and meaning for us in our daily jobs and how we can improve. And, and you know, there is discussion about what it is and some of the things that it's going to... There are tangible things that you can put yeah. in the future, but not all of them. And you need to be adaptable and you need to be able to move and you need to be able to create, hey, something's yeah. going wrong here. And therefore, can we steer it back in that way? And um, by putting a bit of purpose around the future state in what we're going to be like and what it will be for us was a, was a way to, to close that gap and to be able to have a discussion. Yeah. I think that... It, it, and actually, that, that, that visual you create reminds me of a visual... And maybe actually I'll bring this to life for my people when I get back to the office. But I see we're in a race and all businesses are in a race where the finish line is always moving away. It's like probably the sports person's worst nightmare. <laughs> You're running towards the finish line and it just keeps moving. And the problem is if the finish line is the goal, what I can say for sure is as a business, you never, ever, ever going to hit it yeah. and um and it's it, it's always going to move so therefore the question we have to ask ourselves is how do we get satisfaction from chasing it <laughs> and um and this gets us into you know topics of things like continuous improvement and um and you know i have this dialogue a lot with uh, my executive team at the moment who ask a lot when will the transformation be done? Mm. And the answer is never. And and then you kind of can look in people's eyes and see a combination of fear, exhaustion, um, uh, um, doubt, all sort of set in. And uh, and actually, there's no reason to feel any of these things. But it reminds you that actually the thing we're tapping into again is 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 the wrong goal. And um, Actually, what we need to visualise is as the finish line is, is moving away in front of us, how good we're feeling, how the extent to which we're keeping up with it, how much fun we're having while we're doing yeah. it. They you know, look around at the great um, countryside around us yeah. while we're running. Mm. Um, uh, and so somewhere psychologically, we've all got to tap into a different mentality for the race itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and that is a sort of profound modern day problem for businesses. And language like continuous improvement yeah. doesn't somehow bring the reality of that <laughs> challenge to there, life. There's a, there's a, a new, newish piece of, of research emerging from sport in terms of creating extraordinary performance outcomes. And what mm -hmm. has been said 
in the in the research is um, and started I think with cricket, um, but it was in order to have extraordinary performance outcomes, we need to have high, high, high levels of performance expectation. Yeah. Not being outcome performance expectation, but the elements that are required to come in, you know, and we hear people like Alex Ferguson and others in sport talking about having polished shoes and having our uniforms tucked in and all that sort of stuff, which are small things that are associated with this is the performance we expect and this is what it means to be a part of this sporting team or this organisation in, in yeah. New York terms. Coupled with highest levels possible of perceived individual support, which yeah. is not an arm around to say, hey, poor you, you've had a hard day. It's, uh, you know, it is how can I improve and let's have a conversation about how I can improve to deliver what we need to deliver for this and I feel supported in order to deliver it and that we can have a conversation when I do it well, when I don't do it well, what I can enhance and improve upon and getting... So I feel supported in my role to, in order to deliver what's needed to be achieved. And then coupled with um, this whole thing around role modelling and yeah. leadership role modelling associated with the behaviours and values yeah. and everything associated that, that we want to achieve. And if you get all three of those right. Now, some of the evidence is showing that like three legs of a stool, if one of those is missing, you might as well actually have none. Yep. <laughs> because... Because the stool's going to fall over, and unless you have all three, yeah. you might as well just sometimes let free for all and let the cream rise to the top yeah. and do it otherwise. But if you get the the piece right, it will be extraordinary. Yeah, I I fundamentally agree with that premise. And actually, if you convert um, that to business, and um, I, uh, I obviously never knew Steve Jobs, and um, and so I'm mainly speaking from all the same rumours that everybody else has heard. But he said, and um, unachievable um, and com uh, targets and complete intolerance to just anything that wasn't perfect. Sort of this, just that 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 sense of you're never going to hit the finish line because he's already on. He's moved it again and again and again. I think good leaders need to have that trait. The problem is it quickly leads to burnout of your staff if you haven't got. So how do you get the support, support balance in? Mm. And um, uh, not that I am in a million years comparing myself to Steve Jobs. But I do see that trait in me, which is I'm always, it's never quite good enough and I'm always pushing the boundary of that. And um, I'm very lucky to have a very, very good executive team around me who have, have learned and are growing in their strength of tone of voice to say to me, you know, Sean, at some point we have to say well done or we have to say thank you. Or And so now we are completely... Uh, investigating really quite fulsomely what do we would need to wrap around that because I'm not about to change and I do think it is one leg of that chair but what do we wrap around mm. that to provide also the right level of support to everyone so that you know back to a sports analogy when they fall over we pick them up we give them water at the right points we you know mm. map, mop their brows and and make sure that everybody um uh, can participate in the race and actually it reminds me of a conversation David that you and I had when we last spoke which is the energy levels of the whole organisation
organisation and what race are we in? Is it a marathon or a sprint or a relay? Are we passing the baton between different teams so that someone can then have a rest and then they'll pick it up later? Or are we all sprinting as an organisation for a while and then we're going to have a rest? Or do we need to kind of moderate ourselves so that we can do a marathon for a longer period of time? And I haven't got the answer to that question quite yet. Mm. All I know is that we need to answer it. And and probably it will change over mm. time and we need to keep asking that question again and again and again. Because at the moment, um, I'm doing this movement of the finish line. Uh, some people just naturally love that, but they are rare. Mm. And actually, you need everyone to be able to participate in the race and enjoy it and look around and see the scenery and all of the things that we talked about before. And that requires the, the three prongs to the stall that you talked about. Um, so I fundamentally subscribe to that. Can't claim to have solved it, but that's exactly where my head is at, at the moment and where I'm yeah. spending all my time yeah. thinking. There is never a finish line in life, though, is there either? And, and we, well, can sometimes kid our, <laughs> we can sometimes kid ourselves. We can kid ourselves that we might. There yes. might be a, a euphor, euphoric state when we just get to there, yes. but I'm not sure that that state ever really exists no. either. But um, no, you've, you've reminded me through that of a, a one of my favourite books that I, I read a while ago, and it was um, the famous um, gridiron coach in mm -hmm. San Francisco 49ers, a guy called Bill Walsh, who you know changed, changed. Change, um, change defensive behaviours in, in gridiron and um, his book is called The Score Takes Care of Itself mm, and it's about, like getting, it's about getting those things right on the way there yeah. and um, it sums up the conversation really nicely. Mm. Yeah. And, and the, the conversation that you refer to, it was, um, I've still got the notes in my, <laughs> my notebook, but that kind of idea that you're actually tracking the energy uh, within either a team or an organization over a period of time and really being able to identify those moments where you're going to feel great, those moments yeah. where you're going to feel terrible. And the amazing thing is that it's, it's kind of predictable. You kind of yeah. know the rhythm of the year. You know when people yeah. are going to be flat out and you know when people are going to be um, slightly um, more relaxed. And, and that was one of the big breakthroughs that we had in uh, performance planning going into sport, knowing that over the Christmas period, it was going to be miserable. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to be long mileage, big yeah. weights. You're going to be shattered. It was dark outside. And so we started thinking through things like, well, how can we alleviate, uh, alleviate, <laughs> is that the right word? Alleviate. That's the one. Um, as many of these things as possible. So yeah. we used to spend six weeks in Australia because at least that would take That's away the... That's what I need to do for my business. <laughs> yeah. You solved it. There you go. Bingo. <laughs> Everyone um, back at base is like, But we see, it, we see it in business, don't we? It's, yeah. you, you go into the organisation and they're like, the, the month before budgets and everything yeah. are in and the end of the year, yeah. it's like everyone's going, well, they'll change it and this will happen. And it's like... Every year, yeah. Oh, so cool. Why are we... So that's the territory. Yeah. So why are we? Why don't we actually work with yeah. that a little yeah. bit and recognise that is going to happen? Yeah. There's a, and what can we put around and mitigate around it? But actually, let's accept that and try and be proactive in in it in its yeah. face because it's it happens in every business we've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. And I think that planning. So from that conversation that we had, um, we ended up at our last offsite identifying that we need. Um, uh, a, a person whose role it is, what we're going to call, I know, strategic planning, business planning, that isn't about numbers planning like it is in most businesses, mm. but is about taking stock of a rolling 12 months 
of activity so that, and, and we're talking about even building in the rest periods in the right places, but I think we're going to get down to that level. And actually your um, comment about what does the team do through the winter period, you know, I have conversations with people about what it is like to wake up in the dark and mm. drive to work every morning and then drive home in the dark and what that does to psychology. So my head's out, well, why don't we just change the hours from 10 to 4 through the winter period? And this is the amazing thing of being a CEO is actually, well, I could just do that. So uh, and so I'm examining what are the blockers that mean I haven't just done that rather than talking yeah. about doing it. Um, but I think we need to layer it down from the energy levels of the business, how that ties into the business plan, the energy levels of individuals, the environment, the seasons. But it is possible, I think. I agree with you. I think there's a it's all predictable. There's a plan um, that can be pulled together that takes into account all of those things. And the trick with businesses, these things tend to get really complicated and unwieldy and then completely lose their human factor. So how we kind of keep the balance between both of those is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, but. I love that idea. I use a Lumi light, by the way. Oh uh, yeah, I use one too. So yeah. I yeah, I, and vitamin D tablets and one of those. Yeah, yeah they uh, makes a massive difference. It does. Yeah. I had mine on this morning even. Anyway, oh, well. sorry, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a topic no, for I another day. I but that's where, that's where other elements of science can come in and help. Yeah, it definitely helps. So I've got a, a final question for you, Shan. You, you've you've been able to really reflect and 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 look forward as well, and 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 mention some of the things that you're you're going to do and some of the things that you're going to implement. If there's one thing that you've spoken about today that had you not come here today, you might not have done. <laughs> um, so this is you doing a kind of live commitment. Uh-huh. Um, what is it that you're going to do? Um, uh, that's a good question. I think I had been... Uh, all good leaders sort of make this stuff up as they go along. So what have I just said that I hadn't actually really genuinely planned to do? That's a good question. So I think at this corporate level planning... Um, I think I'd probably got as far as let's be able to see what's coming. So mm-hmm. we're not all surprised by the stuff that's actually predictable and happens every year. Um, but then I went on to say, actually, how do we connect that to human energy levels, the seasons, the reality, um, whether it's a marathon or a relay race or a sprint? And how do we really bring that to life in a human way? Um, I think that's the commitment. Wow. Next level, next level, <laughs> Scott. What what have you learned today? What what's um what's been your highlights? I really enjoy chats all the time about purpose and how it connects people to what we're trying to achieve, and that whole point, strategy and culture, and what comes first is it chicken or egg, or where is it all the same thing? And and uh, I. Yeah, I just love that combination of the two of them. The reason I I came and wanted to set up track record with David was this whole point that I was in sport kind of known as the guy who could do performance planning quite well. And I ended up as head coach for a sport. I'd never even been in a boat for, for canoeing. And But the thing I didn't get right was the purpose and how we get people on the bus when they don't know that quite where they need to be Mm. and 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 that's what we i i really feel that we've we've started to unlock that and our whole confidence model with bringing purpose together with and 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 values together with you know what we're actually going to do and and the way that they mesh together and they're so messy together 
I'm getting the hurry up from David. <laughs> <laughs> Wind it up, Scott. Not at all. Not at all. I, I think the the picture that's going to be left in my mind is uh, your skiing analogy. <laughs> you know, just that idea of, um, you know, where you're going to go is where you're looking. Uh, and if you're looking at the danger, guess what? Yeah, you're, you're probably going to end up there. Yeah, that's um, great. So create the picture. Create the, the sense of this is where we're going, the bright new horizon. And... Uh, uh, good things will happen. Um, well, it's been a, a huge pleasure speaking to you, uh, Shan. Pleasure speaking to you, Scott, as well. Um, and uh, once again, we have had this wonderful insight into uh, a, an elite performer um, and really have got under the skin of what does it take to win. So thanks very much for, for listening once again uh, and looking forward to the next instalment.